Welcome to the Natural Selection Podcast with me, Hayley. And me, Sasha. Today on the show, we have Jenny Desmond, co-founder of the Liberia Chimpanzee Rescue and Protection. Since arriving in Liberia in 2015, her and her partner, Jimmy, have devoted literally every aspect of their lives to ensuring a brighter future for baby chimps rescued from the exotic pet trade. Alongside establishing the sanctuary, they collaborate with governmental and conservation organisations to tackle the illegal wildlife trade in West Africa. So if you managed to catch their series, Baby Chimp Rescue on BBC Two last year, you may be familiar with some of their work. And if not, you will definitely want to check it out after listening to this podcast. So we had so much fun recording this and we really hope you enjoy. So welcome Jenny, we are so excited to be speaking to you today and to also be joined by surprise guest Mary. So for our listeners that can't see you right now, Jenny is currently in front of our eyes caring for the youngest chimp ever to be rescued and brought to the sanctuary. Mary Beauty is her full name and we think it's a pretty fitting one looking at her beautiful little face. So of course like every chimp she has a heartbreaking backstory but is in safe hands now. So Jenny, this really has become your full-time job, substitute chimp mum alongside fundraiser for LCRP. Your partner Jimmy is a wildlife vet specialising in emergent disease and together you seem to make a great team. So to start, we would love to know more about your decision to come to Liberia and how you came to create the Liberia Chimp Rescue and Protection. Hi guys, um, it's great to be here. I'm super excited to have this opportunity. Um, so um, yeah, we have a, it's it's pretty crazy uh, story. We, I won't go too far back, but we we've been working in this in the conservation and especially with great apes for for quite a while but um about five years ago we were asked to come to liberia by a coalition of animal welfare groups um to come and help some chimpanzees who unfortunately had been abandoned by a blood center a u.s-based blood center um who had researched on them for three decades and then abandoned them on these islands where they had been you know semi-retired um, so we were asked to come in and do crisis intervention, uh, asked Jimmy as a veterinarian, as you mentioned, so he um, was asked as a vet and I was asked as, as somebody who could manage the project and, and do some fundraising and, and uh, get the team built back up to care for those chimps and get their food back together, get everything kind of reorganized so those chimps would be in a much better um, position to survive. Um, so we arrived here and within about a month we had been um, asked if we could take two orphan baby chimps who were separate from the, the research chimps. Um, that was uh, Sweet Pea and Gwe, um, who live with us now and are of course five years older now. <laughs> um, and we had planned to only be here four or five weeks and we got those guys and when we left we were at the time living in kenya we went back to kenya um with the plan we had a caregiver for sweet pea and Gwei with the plan to get them to kenya uh, where there's a rescue center there um, because there was no sanctuary in liberia at the time and um then we decided in the interim uh, we couldn't get them to kenya and we also decided we were we were asked to come back and work with the research chimps for at least a year, maybe two years, to to really get get things in order and and set up a, a real refuge for them. Um, so we decided to come back for a year, 
And within, uh, before we even got back to that one year stint, um, another chimp had been reported to us, Portia. And um, so by the time we got back, we got Portia right away. And within another few months, we had Rudy and Lucy. And once we had five, we realized, um, you know, this wasn't just about the research chimps. This was clearly a whole other issue, which is partly the welfare and taking care of those chimps coming in but also they were all being orphaned, which meant they were, um, you know, their population were being decimated in the wild. So we decided to start Liberia Chimpanzee Rescue and Protection. And, um, and yeah, it's all come from there. And, and now we're uh, 64 chimps. 64, wow, that's a bit of a jump. I remember at the end of the uh, documentary, it was about 40, right? Yeah, I know. And, and I, I think in the, I, when I watch the, the Baby Chimp Rescue I, um, on BBC, I always look at it and say, Wow, we, I remember when we were at 20, I think we were saying, yeah. my gosh, we are bursting at the seams. We can't do this. There's no way we can take more. Um, <laughs> I guess we figured out how we could take more. Oh, God. Yeah, it sounds pretty hectic then. Hectic, but yeah, I mean, we're, you, you know, we always say it, it's, it's crazy. Um, a lot of times people say, oh, you're doing my dream job. And I said, look, it's, it's, it's not a dream job. <laughs> mm. Um, it's, it's mostly stressful. And of course it's very sad when you, when, you know, every baby who comes in has lost his or her mother and family, but it's also, of course, it's rewarding to see change and, and to see the babies transform and to, and to work with Liberia authorities and everything to, to, to change the way people see chimps and other wildlife and, and, and hopefully make an impact on, on awareness and, and how people treat wildlife here and, and how, you know, it's not just here, it's around the world. I mean, we, we all are at um, fault for how we're treating the, the environment and, and nature and wildlife. Um, so we're hoping that we can make a difference here and also globally as much as possible. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so on the show, we got a really great insight into your mad lives of chimps and dogs everywhere. Um, quite a big worry for you, we saw, is trying to get the funding for the Sanctuary and Conservation Centre. Uh, so we're just wondering how it's coming along and if the show helped with that. Yeah, uh, funding, I mean, for any sanctuary, uh, any rescue center, um, it's always the biggest thing, which I'm sure is not surprising, is fundraising. Um, and the show was fantastic. While I have this opportunity to talk to people out there, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, the support we get from people is just overwhelming. I mean, it's it, it, it not only helps us fund the work we're doing, um, also, it helps us, I, I think for me, um, psychologically and emotionally, even a $5 donation coming in, um, you know, is just like, wow, somebody decided to give that money to us and they trust us with that, with their money to do something good. It's financially fantastic when we get donations, but it's also really motivating for us and, and helps us, you know, get, get to the next place when we're having, when we're struggling. <laughs> Um, of course, fundraising will always be an issue. Every chimp, you know, chimp lifespans about 50 to 60 years, hopefully, if, if we're taking good care of them. And uh, with 64 chimps and, and counting, um, you know, you can do, you know, calculate. That's a lot of money going yeah. well into the future. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the last time we saw you guys on the show, you had the plans drawn up and the foundations laid. Just wondering how it was coming along and if you were any closer to moving in. Yeah, so that's very exciting. The timing of this is great. Um, we have just been told by our construction company that um, four, we're about four weeks out 
from final final. Oh, oh wow. wow. I know. I know. It's very exciting. I take it with a grain of salt, Not, nothing against them, but I think everybody knows things, you know, something comes up and of course construction is always iffy and, and things come up and you have to deal with it. But um, especially you can imagine in Africa and Liberia, it's, you know, there, there are all kinds of things. And we have our rainy season has, has, you know, we started construction prior to the rainy season and we were able to continue some of it during the rainy season, but not everything. So it slowed down and now we're back in dry season and so easier to finish up. But, um, you know, I think, and we also, of course, we had COVID also. So that stopped some things, but actually for our construction COVID, um, didn't impact it actually impacted us in, in more positively in terms of the construction and not to say that it's a, of course COVID's a horrible horrible thing um but because you know nothing else was happening i think our construction people were able to focus on what we were doing because nobody else was doing anything so um we've kind of kept plodding along and and making progress so we're hoping um you know being realistic we're hoping that in about I don't know, being realistic, probably March. Um, and by the end of March, hopefully we get everybody moved over. We, we won't move all, you know, in one day. When you have 64 chimps, it doesn't all happen in one day. Um, so yeah, very, very exciting. Um, all the buildings are done. And we've even started um, taking two of our five groups. We have five kind of separate groups. Um, we've started taking two of the five groups to the forest every day. We have to drive there, but it's only about 15 minutes away from where we are now. Um, so we already have chimps in the 100 acre wood, which is, gosh, it's, uh, you can imagine for us, though, it's like I shed quite a few tears. Yeah, I love those scenes in the forest. The last scene you saw in the forest, you know, we brought them there just to see what it would be like. And, and then of course that became a reality. And, um, and we still have a lot more of our little people who are still yet to get into that forest. So, so a lot more exciting moments ahead. Yeah, that sounds like a massive breakthrough. And we're glad to hear that COVID hasn't affected you too much. We were a bit worried about that because over here it's been quite devastating, but it sounds like it's been better in Liberia, right? Yeah, I know. Um, of course, I'm from the U.S. Um, and so, of course, you know, I know with our friends and family, it's just been devastating. And we have a lot of um, friends and, and supporters in the U.K. I know, I think the U.K. and the U.S., gosh, I think some of the hardest hit. Um, Liberia, you know, we don't know exactly what the numbers are because we don't always get everything um, quite transparent coming through. Um, so, you know, I, I have had people we know who have COVID and then I look at the numbers that week and says no new cases, but relative to other places, um, very, very low. I mean, we would know if it was, you know, devastating Liberia, we would know. Um, But I think partly because Ebola was such a huge crisis here um, not so long ago, um, people are are quite aware and and, um, we took mitigation uh, measures pretty quickly here. and also, you know, most of life here is outdoors. And I think that's probably had a difference, made a difference. There's, there's not, you know, we have meetings outdoors. We, we live outdoors. We, you know, you really, even the rainy season, it's not cold. So you still go outside. You may take cover, but you're outside. So um, I, I have no idea, but, you know, we've been trying to figure out why it hasn't spread so much here. And luckily it, it hasn't. We're not quite sure, sure why, but we've had to be ex- extremely careful with the chimps because chimps are very at very very high risk for respiratory illnesses COVID or any other respiratory illnesses and a common cold from a human can 
can kill a chimp um, if it gets out of control. So um, we, we're already very careful about those kinds of things, um, but we just had to step it up, of course, to, to even more extreme measures. So. Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that it's not been too bad. Um, so in your BBC Two documentary, Baby Chimp Rescue, you were joined at the sanctuary by Ben Garrod, who helped you teach the orphan chimps the vital survival skills they needed for a life back in the forest. I assume chimp school is still going. Uh, now, do you think they, in the future the older chimps will be able to take on the role of teacher? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it's already happening. Um, we, you know... Uh, since unfortunately almost all of our chimps we only have two chimps who are old, over the age of like seven um because you know even even the the ones we got at the very beginning were maybe one or two years old and it's been five years so you know we're really looking at only you know six seven eight year olds um and then younger um we have two chimps johnny and priscilla johnny you met in the series um, who are in their teen years um, and, you know, getting closer to being adults. Um, but, you know, they were, they were in, in human care, captive care. Um, it, it, I hate to call it care, but uh, um, unfortunately in captivity, I guess, uh, with humans since they were babies. So, you know, they, they also don't necessarily know all those skills. Um, but what we've seen is as we scare some of them, with the snakes, which you saw in the series, um, we do the, the you know, the, the nut cracking we do, that's, that's simply for also enrichment, but also to keep their cultural um, skills going, to keep their culture alive, um, because they don't, of course, need to know how to crack nuts in, in our care. I mean, we, we can give them nuts, but, um, but building nests, again, that's another kind of cultural thing for them. And all those things are really important for them socially and, and just for enrichment. And, and we, again, we want to maintain their, their culture. We, we don't want them to lose those things they would have in the wild. But we've already started seeing that um, the older ones who are even the five, six, seven-year-olds are starting to teach them um, how to crack nuts and how to build nests. And um, most importantly, they are all getting very very upset when they see a snake a real snake and everybody's learning very quickly um that that is a dangerous thing so um it's really cool to see all that and and you know even even johnny and priscilla who are older have had to learn that from the littler ones because they didn't necessarily know those things um so yeah it's it's really cool to see those things passed along um to to each you know from one to the other um and and it's much more effective than us teaching them I think, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess it takes the pressure off a bit and leaves you a bit more time. Uh, so we know you do a lot of work fighting the illegal bushmeat and pet trade, which these chimps are essentially a byproduct of. I was just wondering, when you started out, what were the attitudes of people towards you and of the government officials? Uh, were they supportive of your mission or was it just not really considered a priority? Uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it's mixed. Um, I'd say it's kind of on all levels. Um, we, we are very fortunate that... Um, that we have a pretty collaborative environment here um, for fighting wildlife crime and awareness and other activities, community activities. Um, it's Liberia is a very welcoming country in general, but also we have uh, or NGOs here, local and international, and also the joint security agencies who we've really started to build networks and relationships with. You know, it takes some time. Um, and you have to really prove yourself. You know, we're Liberian residents now. I mean, I think I think things like that because, and which of course makes sense. I mean, you know, a lot of people come in and out, you know, for a year or two years and, and 
try and start something and then they leave. And so I think it's it's been really great to to be able to show that we we're here to stay and and building infrastructure here and building relationships and and taking residency and 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 hiring a team. We have a team of of over thirty people now um, who are all Liberians. Um, a great team. And um, so I think we've built these networks that are are really, really becoming effective. It's taking time, but it's it's really showing we're showing progress. Um, but of course, there's resistance, not not necessarily to us, but just to the concept of why are you telling me I shouldn't eat bush meat or why are you telling me there's a law against keeping a chimp or or a penguin or a monkey in my backyard? Um, we've been doing that for since the beginning of time. you know, who who are you to tell us that? And not just who am I to tell them that, but who are the wildlife authorities to tell them that? Or, you know, so so that's another struggle and a challenge, and we we all work together to overcome that. So some of it is about, um, raising awareness that there is a law. We're also working into working to strengthen the law, um, but it's also about awareness and also just developing relationships with with individuals and communities and organizations, um, to talk about why it's important. You know, not just oh, we're just telling you this because it's a law, um, but it's also not us telling you. It's it's the organizations within Liberia telling you because for for many Liberians, um, you know, Liberia is a real treasure. It's a biodiversity hotspot. Um, the opportunities for ecotourism here are just immense. Um, and just, of course, as we know, um, protecting your habitat around you and protecting nature is, is good for public health. Um, so, you know, trying to get those messages out um, so that it's not something that's just about the law, you know. So it's really, it's it's a very multifaceted approach. And I think it's it takes time and a lot of work um, and a lot of cooperation between organizations. And um, but we're, we're seeing change here, and it, and it's really great to see, you know. And we're learning too. We have to learn what approaches we're taking that maybe work or don't work, or you know, we we don't want people seeing us as the enemy. Yeah, so that's what I was thinking. I mean, bushmeat is widely consumed across West Africa, so I just thought there might be a bit of resistance there. Uh, it looks like they're getting pretty serious, though, the government, with the FDA burning the bushmeat, and you've set up a confiscation unit. Is that right? Yeah, so those are some of the really um, awesome success stories here. Um, so we have 64 chimps, and we have you know over 100 other um, protected wildlife that have come into care um, at, at another rescue center here. And uh, so what we we set up a um, wildlife confiscation unit, which is under the wildlife authorities, which is Forestry Development Authority. And then we also have set up a wildlife crime task force, which is made up of that confiscation unit of the wildlife division um, in FDA, which is Forestry Development Authority. So I'll keep saying FDA, and that's what that is. Um, we have the Liberian National Police as part of that task force, um, Interpol, um, Transnational Crime Unit, the Ministry of Justice, and um, even now we're bringing in immigration services and drug enforcement agency services. Um, so what we're really trying to do is build this task force so that it's, it's you know, all of these different joint security agencies working together to, so that... Um, to be able to fight crime, but also just to change attitudes. And, and, and uh, you know, this isn't just a, an issue in Liberia or West Africa, this is global. I mean, wildlife crime is a very serious organized crime and it's decimating populations, but it's also destroying economies. It's destroying livelihoods, it's destroying habitats. Um, 
it's also been potentially linked to other crimes like drugs and weapons and things like that. So um, we're trying to really do things on a micro level and a macro level, I guess, is, is really the way that we're trying to do it. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of thing is really exciting to see. Um, yeah. And it's motivating, you know? I mean, people here, they want to do their jobs and it's very difficult when you don't have any capacity or resources or um, logistics or support to do the job. So now we hope that we're, we're helping to, to build that up. Amazing. And um, leading on from the question before, you were speaking about how education is so important to change public perceptions. Uh, now, we've seen that you have a big initiative running at the moment that's gone nationwide. I believe you started that at the end of the documentary where you were running theatre groups at schools to raise awareness. I was wondering if that's still ongoing and in what other ways are you getting the word out? Yeah, um, again, it's taken time. Um, you know, everybody kept telling us, you, you can't take this this wildlife from us without telling us it's against the law first, which of course has been against the law since 2016. Well, it's been against the law prior to that. Um, so of course, awareness was always almost like an obstacle for us in a way at the beginning because people were using that as an excuse. And then, um, but of course it's important for us to have um, awareness and, and work with, with communities and, and the pop, local population to understand why we do this. But so we had the, we have the theater group that's still going, Eddie Theater. Um, we've made Eddie's come, Eddie's group has come up with some songs about chimps, about pangolins, about wildlife. Um, and we have posters, flyers, billboards. Um, we're actually right now, as we speak, we have um, a, an awareness group going out um, with all of our, uh, NGO partners and the and the wildlife authorities going out to different counties to be on the radio. Radio is very very big here, very big. Um, you know, all of us from the Western world are like radio. We don't even know what that is anymore. But um, <laughs> yeah. radio is how people communicate. It's the best way to reach people here um, because people you know don't have TVs or don't have internet in, in many areas of Liberia or West Africa. So doing a radio show is fantastic because everybody has a radio. Um, and so we're doing that and, and a new um, program this year that's really exciting, um, which is also in, in combination with Eddie Theater Dramas, is we, um, we there was, there's a women's market association in, in Liberia, in Monrovia, in the capital city. And the women, these are almost all single women raising children whose husbands have died or left them. Um, and they were they were one of the key groups selling the bush meat. So they're not out doing the hunting, and they're they're not the big time commercial traders. Um, those those kinds of traffickers are people who you really are are working with law enforcement to capture. Um, but these are just women trying to make a living selling bush meat. They've been doing it forever, and and again, like as you mentioned, it's a cultural preference. It's it's not. This isn't. We're not talking about someone in a village who needs to eat. We're talking about people in Monrovia who have you know, right next to the bushmeat is chicken, which is a tenth of the cost. So this is about people saying, I want the bushmeat. Mm -hmm. um, it's illegal, but they were being allowed to still sell it. And so um, we have, I think, over 10 of these women um, have converted over to a different product now. Um, they're working, doing dramas with Eddie Theater. And we give them, at the beginning, we give a stipend for them to do some of the, the conservation work with us and for us to go out into the communities and, and talk to people about changing their ways. And, you know, part of that is about changing the, trying to talk about 
why it's important to stop eating um, protected species, but also um, to allow, I guess, to, to talk to people also about that there are alternatives, that they can make just as much or more selling something else. And, and as we enforce the law more, as the law becomes more enforced in Liberia, of course, that kind of um, business becomes less lucrative because your, your risk is much higher than the amount of money you're going to make. So, so also even spreading that message, this isn't going to be a great business for very much longer. Yeah, well, that sounds like it's working really well. Um, we hope that attitudes continue to change and protect those species. It's also really cool that you're doing conservation with obviously chimps, but other protected animals as well. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot going on. Um, so as you said, you're soon going to be getting the chimps into the new forest. Which sounds really exciting. Uh, do you think you'd ever be able to do reintroductions into the wild? Yeah, and I mean, as far as the chimps coming in, uh, you know, of course it's frustrating that we're still getting chimps, but we've kind of gone in waves. Um, at the beginning, we got, you know, just a few and then once the word got out we were here and we started the organization we got a lot um but then it kind of trickled off and then as we started doing awareness and and enforcing the law of course then it comes back up which we knew would happen and and now as we really have stepped up awareness we're getting another big influx which almost feels like we're going backwards but we know we're not um what we have to do is make sure that in the appropriate cases, um, when we do get chimps or other wildlife, um, protected wildlife, that the law is enforced, people are arrested and prosecuted. Um, if it's not appropriate, as somebody who doesn't know, who has a pet, then at least raising awareness and making sure that that community understands that that individual, you know, whether it's a monkey or a pangolin or um, a turtle even, a, you know, any animal, a crocodile, that, that, that the animal is being confiscated, but also that basically that that's against the law. So even if someone isn't arrested per se in that case, making sure that's understood. So um, we do a lot of that and, you know, but right now um, we can't do any kind of reintroduction. Um, I don't really feel comfortable because we still know there's still enough hunting that it's still a big risk, so we wouldn't put them back out. Um, but people, and of course our, our, our our chimps are all too young to go out there. You have to make a family group that has different ages, different personalities, different um, genders. Everybody has to, it has to be a well-formed group. It has to have a great, you have to have a great um, location and habitat where there's enough food that will be there for them. Um, the habitat has to be appropriate. It has to be away from um, competing chimp groups. It has to be, of course, away from human communities because there's, there's a risk of the chimps going there. If they can't find food easily, then, hey, why not go in there and grab some food from those people? Um, so there are a lot of variables. And of course, you have to make sure the population who goes into um, the wild from, from, from the human, you know, these guys have been living with humans. We have to make sure they're absolutely perfectly healthy because we certainly don't want them bringing an, a new disease out to wild populations um, and creating. So, so as you can see, there's a lot of variables. Liberia has um, a, a very large intact remaining habitat for Western chimpanzees. So we are hopeful that, that we would be able to do that. And um, so it's something, you know, be a dream come true to be able to do it. Um, it wouldn't be all the chimps in our care, I'm sure, but um, we would hope to be able to put a pretty large group back out to the wild if all those variables come into place. And, and we're, we're looking at, you know, I can't even imagine anywhere before 10 years of that. Oh, okay, cool. Um, I was also just wondering how many chimps you think you'd be able to have on the reserve? So um, that's, a, that's a great question. So 
with the land we have now and the facilities, which we have a night dorm, um, you could call it a holding facility or a night dorm, where the chimps will come in. So when, when we, when we um, take chimps out to the forest at, at most sanctuaries, they go out during the day and then they come in at night for multiple reasons. One is they, they um, it's just safer, you know, it's safer and secure and they come in, we can check on them every night if somebody needs medical care or um, some kind of special food or if there's an injury or anything, we, we see them every single night. Um, but uh, also <laughs> chimps build a new nest every night. So you can imagine in a finite forest, um, <laughs> That's a bit of a problem pretty quickly. Um, already with just the babies, two groups of the babies going into our forest, there's just, you can see where they've been, you know, just crash, crash, everything's crashed down. <laughs> now, the way we do it is we rotate around so that we make sure that that things can come back up. But it, again, it's a finite forest. It's not, you know, thousands and thousands of acres where we can allow it to, to replenish. We will start growing trees in there. Um, the 100 acres, it, it can hold quite a few chimps, especially now while they're younger. But what our plan is, um, is to also get some more land. There's more land available that's forested around us. Um, so we will be doing that. We do have a, what we call our wetlands habitat. It's, it's forested, but not quite as nicely as the 100 acre wood. Um, that will be fenced off. That, that's quite a big, a big area. So that'll be enough space for another group of chimps. Um, and, and then um, we may eventually um, get a satellite location that's much that's near a national park, especially if we're thinking about reintroduction at some point. Um, that wouldn't necessarily even be for more chimps. It might just be to move some of these chimps to a place where we would at least start, they'd be in more of a wild location and then be preparing for possible reintroduction. Um, so we're trying to kind of think in stages. Um, the night dorm is, for about 60, 70 chimps, so we're already getting close, adult chimps, so right now we're fine. Um, but we also have plans to duplicate that exact facility right next to it. We have space to build it again, if we need to. Oh wow, that sounds really cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been really great hearing about all the great work you're doing in Liberia. Good luck for the future. Sounds like it's going to be bright. And we will definitely be keeping updated with what's going on with Liberia Chimp Rescue. Yeah, and hopefully we see a new series soon. Yeah, that would be amazing. Thank you guys so much for having me um, and for caring about LCRP. And um, yeah, if people want to donate, of course, you can go to LiberiaChimpanzeeRescue.org. And please follow us, um, donate or not, follow us on Instagram or um, Facebook. We, we love to answer questions. We love to interact with everybody. So um, come and see what we're doing. And, and the more support, the, the better for us. Um, not just donations, but just knowing you're out there because we're, we're pretty much in the middle of nowhere out here. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Well, thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed it. Remember to check out their website and donate if possible at www.liberiachimpanzeerescue.org and give them a follow on Instagram at Liberia Chimp Rescue Protection to keep up to date with everything that's going on there. Bearing in mind this was recorded about a month ago, so keep an eye out for their move into the 100 Acre Wood. And of course, if you haven't seen it yet, go watch Baby Chimp Rescue on BBC Two. You'll be crying and laughing the whole way through like I was. Also, if you're not already, uh, give us a follow on Instagram at the natural selection underscore podcast and on Twitter at UOE podcast. Some great conservation content and information on upcoming episodes. 